Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Hey, Corey, do you uh, do you know what the word holler means? Holler? Yeah, like, like uh, if you're a, you see your friend walking down the street, well, you might holler at him. Huh. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, no, but you just hollered at me, so I want to be educated. <laughs> What's... Uh, it's funny because I heard this I, word. I know there's. I love that song. My my love is deeper than the holler. Is that the same word? Deeper than the. Holler. I don't know. Holler. It's that's hollow. That's Randy Travis. So my love is deeper than the holler. You know that one? Well, that's probably it because I was listening to a, a show this week and it it talked about holler and I was like, that's one of those words I've heard and I think it's in the context of like hillbillies or Silver Dollar <laughs> City and Branson. So. <laughs> Of course, I had to go look up the word holler on the definition. And it's it's just like this valley that's uh, right, kind of yeah. shrouded by hills and trees and covered. But it's typically uh, just a name given like in southern, like Tennessee or West Virginia, Kentucky, down in the holler, live down in the holler. And yeah, they, well, it meant... It meant hollow. I mean, it was the twang. It was the twangy way of saying the holler. Okay. I think, but that the hollow was like you know the 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 uh, the little valley. We when we lived out in the country back behind the house, I, I had a little area that I kind of nicknamed that because it was this little cut out of the hills where it was this little deep little mm-hmm. sort of spot, and maybe that's what the holler is. Well, did you have uh, jars of pig's feet and pickles? In <laughs> no, that? but <laughs> but that was our favorite prank phone call, you know, before we had the uh, days of caller ID and all that kind of stuff. You, there was this little country store. I remember me and my delinquent friend called up on our phone, and we asked the little lady on the phone, couldn't identify us. Do you have pig's feet? And she said, let me check. <laughs> so she comes back. Yes, we do. And then we would say something like, well, then where do you buy your shoes? <laughs> and hang up the phone. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. No, no. Are we doing a podcast? Uh, oh. I, I remember that. Hey, uh, this is so-and-so from the electric company. Is your refrigerator running? Yeah. <laughs> you better go catch it. Yeah. We did those prank calls too, man. There yeah. was, you were like scot-free. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're doing a podcast. But I I heard that word holler, and so the guy talking about it, he was from Kentucky, and he was he was saying, yeah, you know, he associates it with the general store where you would walk in and there'd be a jar of pig's feet you could pull out and pickles <laughs> on the counter. You right. just reach your hand in, you know, no sanitary. No, be there for a month. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, I like to start out with a little little trivia sure, just to keep it, sure. keep it light. Hey, uh. Talk to me about Jacob and the Book of Mormon. A couple of weeks ago, you uh, you read a scripture, and um, and we've talked about this just a little bit about Lehi saying, "I speak unto you, my firstborn in the wilderness." Well, this is there's so much information in Lehi's uh, counsel to his children when he before he passes on, he speaks to all his children, <clears throat> and. Uh, what jumped out at me the other day was uh, the end of his speech to, I shouldn't say speech, but end of his counsel. It's really a patriarchal blessing, I guess, I suppose you could look at it that way. In the end of the second chapter of, or second book of Nephi, chapter one, 
Now, Lehi concludes his words to Jacob saying, I have no other object save it be the everlasting welfare of your souls. Now, he's speaking to all his children, but he devoted some time and attention to Jacob. Well, what what jumped out at me, and this is the scripture, is that later on, after Lehi's death, Jacob is apparently ordained by not his, his father, because he was very young when his father passed on, but his brother Nephi. And, and in Second Nephi chapter 5, in the RLDS version, the words of Jacob, the brother of Nephi, come, and Jacob's first words to the people are, are this. He says, I speak unto you, for I'm desirous for the welfare of your souls. And I, and I noticed that connection, Mike, and I said, said to myself, I said, well, it's interesting that Lehi stops his counsel by, hey, I'm just talking for your welfare. And Jacob starts saying, hey, I'm speaking to you for your welfare. And I thought, well, I wonder what Jacob says. And I, I started cross-correlating. <clears throat> I started cross-correlating uh, some of the counsel of Lehi as he's given it to his child, Jacob, and then some of Jacob's words and find that Jacob's sermons and his lessons in the next few chapters are just amplifying the things his father taught in really, really profound ways. And it was really cool to me to see that. Well, I'd be interested to dive into that and see what this major message is that he carried on from his childhood and felt it necessary to bring out, you know, again to the to the people. Yeah. And it's you know, this is one of these things that I'm I'm guilty of going off on a lot of tangents when I study and open the word anymore because I can see a word and it'll kind of interest me for hours. Sometimes mm-hmm. I want to understand the things. And sometimes I find I'm just getting lost in so much information of, of minor things that I want to, I, I forget to kind of, Oh, well, what's the overall message? Well, trying to look at this from the overall message and not dive down too deep into one specific thing. Lehi says, for instance, <clears throat> a simple statement. He says, Salvation is free. And he's, the second Nephi chapter 1, verse 66, salvation is free. But when Jacob comes on the scene in the sixth chapter of second Nephi, so, you know, several years later in his life, what, what, Le, what Jacob does is he starts talking about how salvation is free, but then he starts using the words of Isaiah and expounding on how this was the message of Israel's prophet uh, to us. And this is where he includes this scripture. Um, come to the waters, he that hath no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And that wording is a little different in the Book of Mormon than you'll find in the Bible, but it's it's how it was written in the plates that they had. And then what's interesting is he doesn't just quote Isaiah he, he builds around it in, in a beautiful, uh, like, chiasm and in, in poetry of his own. He says, don't spend money for that which is of no worth or labor which can't satisfy. Hearken diligently and remember these words and come to the Holy One of Israel. Feast on that which perisheth not. In other words, eternal life. Feast on it. And neither can be corrupt. And let your soul delight in fatness. Fatness is a word that translates into something that gives us a connotation of maybe something undesirable in English. But in the in the Hebrew, the fatness was the health and the the wealth and the growth of something. It's like that was a that was a good thing. In fact, I learned that in the original words of Genesis when. 
in the days of creation, and it said God, you know, filled the earth with such and such, that the word filled was really this word to fatten. In other words, he gave it life. And and that that's how it translated to the Hebrew mind was that fatten meant to give it life. And so I, I saw that many of the things that Lehi speaks about, he uh, and his sons expound on, and, and then later other people do, but the, the perspective that we get here, and I think this is interesting, is that, remember, he's speaking to a child who's 8, 9, 10 years old. We don't know how old exactly, but he speaks in fairly concise messages. You know, it's like, how would you speak to a, to a child who's mm-hmm. 10 years old about God? Well, you know, God is good. God is love. God is caring. And, and you know, you don't overwhelm them with complexity, but then you find these sons who were energized by God's spirit and they were the brothers who were motivated by their father's witness of the Christ and they couldn't get enough. And they, they go on then in, in their own adult life, they share words that haven't been shared by anyone else in, in the written scripture that we have to the depth and their, and it's not complex. I mean, to be confusing, but in, in the plainness, but the sheer, um, the understanding that they convey in, in the later chapters of 2 Nephi 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 in the earliest versions, you get what you find is Nephi and Jacob writing, but what they're expounding on is the simple teachings their father gave them. That, um, I, I woke up early this morning getting ready for the podcast, and, and my wife has an event today with the, the Women's Council, so she was getting ready to get up, and as I was sitting there putting on my shoes, Corey, I told her, um, a little bit about, I said, we have an exciting podcast today. And um, I told her just a little bit about how Lehi had taught his son Jacob early on. And then Jacob comes back and uses these same words and wants to teach the people and expounds on them. And I said, you know, these these layers, this intelligence that's behind this book, even though I always believed it, it's it, it con- constantly causes me to re- examine the fact that this is a gift from heaven, a direct revelation of God to us. And it is such a a blessing. And so we always, I appreciate these intricacies that you're finding because it shows that the intelligence has to be way beyond a young, a young lad in, in rural, you know, New York that would try to make this all up. He couldn't, no, even a computer, you know, you need to com- to keep everything straight and put every- I don't believe he did that at all. But then the other side of it, the other side of the coin is also don't lose sight of the message because the, the divinity is being brought out by the simpleness and the way everything ties together. But also, as you realize more and more, this is divine. This is a direct message from God. We have to pay attention to it. We have to also examine the message and how it affects our living day to day, moment to moment, and so that's mm. that's that's the challenge I think of tying these things together. Mm. I love what you just said about you know this this word that we're holding in our hands. That was my prayer exactly this morning too, brother. I, I woke up early and was was spending some time in the Word, and as I'm holding this book, realizing we're holding this pure Word of God that was hidden in the ground to come specifically to us, so that it could go back to God's people. It's like how special is this to have this privilege to just hold it? And it, it's nothing of ourselves, right? But you think, wait, this is pure and holy stuff here. <laughs> you know, it's not just not just words. It wasn't. It's not just a novel made up by some man. No, money for a book. 
Hey Corey, I had a I had a dream last night, and I'm not I'm not going to say this is a spiritual dream, but I I really have come to realize that the more we put our mind on things, that our dreams are this great. Sometimes our subconscious works things out. I think in a way that we don't have work out when we're conscious, and that's a you know. But there is gifts and things of dreams. I wouldn't say I have that, but I did have a very a dream that I remember very well, and that doesn't always happen. And I told yeah. my wife this morning last night. I had a dream, and there was church people among me, and there was great excitement. And I don't remember the faces of the exact people, mm-hmm. but I but it was it was church people there around us, and they said, "There's this great message here. This angel is is here among us, and he's telling us these things." And this man walked up to me, and he was dressed in his normal clothes, but he was this. They said he was this angel, and he's he's very good looking, very uh, inviting, and nothing about him to repulse me. And he was telling me things. And uh, my first thought was, um, this is really odd. Is this really true? And I thought, I, I need to make sure that he's really an angel from God. And of all things, this came into my mind. I remember the scriptures and the doctrine and covenants that named, like, uh, that Michael, the great archangel, was Adam, and that these these were there were men, you know, that had that had worked. You know, we talk about the angel Moroni, and when he comes back, he's an angel. Uh, but they were these men, these ministers that were called. And so in my mind, I thought, I'm going to ask an innocent question to this to this man and say, say, so you're an angel from heaven? I said, are, are there women angels in heaven too? And he said, oh, yeah, they're all over. And I instantly knew that he that was a lie. And of all things, I was thinking of that scripture. And I said, well, the scriptures, whenever they record the angels, they're, they're men and, and they're men sometimes that have been ministers and in the priesthood. And he looked right at me, and his whole face changed, and his his eyes became red, and he was, and, and the people gasped. And I remembered the um, scripture that said, "If even if an angel of God come and preach anything contrary to the word, don't be deceived." Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just that's what I woke up to. But I presented the word to him for whatever reason in that aspect of what I knew and. And when I felt like he was lying or didn't have evidence of that, it brought out the lie of what the real being was behind that. I'm not saying that's a spiritual dream, but it's uh, a unique perspective and maybe from my subconscious working things out. But the fact is the written word is so important for us not to be deceived, even when things may seem to be right. Yeah. Even when things may seem to be exciting, you have to go back to the written word. And that's why this is uh, important to me that we, on the one hand, understand that these things you're finding in the Book of Mormon uh, prove more and more that it's designed by someone greater than a, than a human, like by the great creator. It's organized. And at the other, on the other hand, we have to treasure up the word and understand what it means for us in our lives. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I always compare it back to the standard. You know, this is the, uh, that's really kind of a good segue into this because what you find is that Lehi's words become a standard that the rest of the people in the Book of Mormon expound on. Um, wh- one of these things that really drew my attention into this was Lehi's teaching from the second chap- second book of Nephi, chapter 1, and he's telling his young son Jacob about the Messiah. And he says in the 72nd verse, 
Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the end of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. And then in just one sentence, he says, he's the sacrifice. He's going to answer this law of justice, you know, the law of Moses, everything he pointed toward him. But he says in one sentence, to those whose hearts are broken in spirit and contrite and no one else, you know, this is, this is what salvation means in one sentence. Well, then in the next verse, verse 73, then he says, wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth that they might know that there's no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. So this is Lehi to Jacob, right? This is Lehi to Jacob. How great the importance to make these things known. Yep. And that must have resonated yeah. with Jacob. And the things to be made known, nobody yeah. dwells in the presence of God without... Well, yeah, it, it, but without a broken heart and contrite spirit. But... The, probably the most important aspect of all this is he's talking about this Holy One of Israel, and he says, and maybe I should back up before verse 72, but the part that I highlighted was he offers himself a sacrifice for the sin to answer the ends of the law. You know, the, this law that we we broke the spiritual law, the temporal law, the whatever law, and his solution is he had to answer. He did. He offered himself that sacrifice so that those laws could be satisfied. That takes us back to our episode last week in talking about the focus during the sacrament. He offers himself a sacrifice so that so that we may be saved. Yeah, and so this holy God, you know, he's this is what Lehi is teaching Jacob just right out of the box. Um it's just a few verses before where he begins his his speech to Jacob, and he says to him this in verses 60 through 64, 65. He said, Behold, in thy childhood you have suffered afflictions and sorrow because of the rudeness of your brothers. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thy afflictions for thy gain. Nevertheless, thy soul shall be blessed, and thou shalt dwell safely with your brother. All and thy days shall be spent in the service of thy God. So when he's young, he's already kind of comparing. Hey, your brothers have been kind of bad apples, but you're going to hang with Nephi, and you guys are going to serve God. And then he he starts and says, "Wherefore I know that thou art redeemed." because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. For thou hast beheld that in the fullness of time he cometh to bring salvation unto men. This is interesting where we have to read a little bit between the lines. But right here, Lehi says, you have beheld this. Like he had already a testimony that in the fullness of time he's coming to bring salvation to men. Later on, Nephi states of his brother Jacob, as he's talking about Isaiah, he says, Isaiah saw the Christ, and he said, and my brother Jacob has seen him too, just as I have. All three of them, they're talking, and you know, Nephi shares this in vision, but in other cases too, he had this personal testimony that Jacob apparently from a young child has this personal testimony of, of Christ. And he says, and I know you're going to be redeemed because of not of your works. He says, because of the righteousness of your Redeemer. And thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory, Wherefore thou art blessed, 
even as they who he shall minister to in the flesh. So then he says, he says these little single statements to him. He says, for the spirit is the same yesterday, today, forever. God's spirit, his purpose doesn't change. The way is prepared from the fall of man and salvation is free. That's one sentence. Men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil. And then he talks about how this law is given, and he finally says what we just stated. And wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he's full of grace and truth. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law. You know, I'm just bringing it back to where we started. This Messiah is the first thing he talked about, that he offered himself a sacrifice for sin. When it says beheld, I, I, I have a little... I have a little mark in my scriptures next to that verse, beheld in youth his glory. I don't have that scripture with me right now, but I remember writing there. What did that What did that mean? To me, when it says you beheld in your youth his glory, and that's what really saved him and allowed him to continue to minister, it was his testimony. Somehow he had a testimony of Jesus and his work, his saving work, his sacrifice, even in his youth. And I, and I thought, did that allow him then to just to be on the right track during his life? That testimony of the glory of Christ, that, that had to have probably changed him that he didn't drift away when he was older. Yeah. You know, I wonder after I read that too, that man, did Jacob have maybe a set of plates that we don't know anything about? You know, he obviously had a testimony early on. And, and apparently, even with the Book of Mormon translation, it's not something we bring up much, but there were like 115 or 16 pages that were lost that were supposedly Lehi's writings, you know, more of what Lehi had to say, and that part was lost to us forever, at least at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if, you know, these testimonies and things were actually recorded there, and now we, we just have this little part that God said, it's okay, you're going to get the story here. But this this young boy who has a testimony like Nephi's of, of seeing and understanding from an early age what all this means. But the fact that, you know, Lehi shares in just a few verses how great to make this known that he lays down his life according to the flesh and he takes it up again by the power of the Spirit. He And he is the first fruits of God. He makes intercession for the children of men and all that believe in him shall be saved. And he continues to talk about this, but it's in in simple, short, easy to understand. Um, you can't misunderstand what he's saying here, that there's only one way to Christ or one way to salvation, and it's through this God who laid down his life for us. And makes intercession. Yeah, yeah. And how great to make this known. Yeah, you know. And because of the intercession for all, you know, it's uh, they will stand in his presence to be judged of him according to his holiness and truth. And so I, it's just, I don't know, what, what's interesting to me, and I've, I'm still working through this because I just find the, the layers of understanding, like you pointed out, couldn't have been something that a farm boy in New York just intimately knew or understood. It gets so complex. Uh, how, how could this have just been made up? You know, in my work I do to earn money for my family, uh, my profession, I guess, is what it's called. I, I work with logic and computer programs, if you will, that run very complex factories or plants. Could be a chemical plant, manufacturing operation, power plant, whatever. And 
the logic behind making these operations of sometimes thousands of pieces of equipment, making it all interoperate harmoniously to achieve whatever the objective is, you know, the end result of the product or the power or the chemical or whatever, takes a lot of thinking to to organize this. And literally this morning I, I woke early and spent some time on the Word, and I was looking at these relationships between what Lehi says and Jacob and Nephi, and while it seems simple on the surface, the complexities of arranging this go beyond any logic I've ever had to work on to make a power plant run or or that. And it's like this this is a treasure we have. These words, they're they are not by chance. They are not just whimsical. Um they're they're truth on the simple terms on the surface, and it's profound understanding to the depths that as far as you want to take it. It's it's true on every level. And and so I find that like these truths that Lehi shares about God would offer himself a sacrifice for sin. It's it's unequivocal. There's no, um, what's the word? You, you can't see it any other way. Um, so Lehi says this, and then Jacob starts writing when it's his turn in chapter 5. So second book of Nephi, chapter 5, and going to like verse 24, 25, you find that very early on in Jacob's words now, after he says, I'm here for the welfare of your souls, just like his father's ending message was. This is where Jacob starts. And he says, um, he talks about his people, how they would fall away and how the word would come forth. But then he says, to to bring, um, to, uh, I just got off the scripture here, sorry. Um so 2 Nephi chapter 5, verse 24, He also hath shown unto me that the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, should manifest himself unto them in the flesh. And this is what Lehi taught. And that after he would manifest himself, they would scourge him and crucify him. And, and, and he has yet to mention the word Jesus, by the way. All of Jacob's writings at this point are still echoing Isaiah's words, uh, he's he's taking some of Isaiah and he's explaining it and he's referring to this God as the Holy One of Israel and he says and he he has shown me that the Lord God the Holy One of Israel should manifest Himself in the flesh not not an appointee or a surrogate or some other person no the one that all of Israel knew is the Holy One the Lord God and that after He should manifest Himself they should scourge Him and crucify Him according to the words of the angel which spake it unto me. So here we get a little bit more of, these are Jacob's words. An angel spoke to him and shared these things too. And he says, and after that they were hardened, they hardened their hearts, stiffened their necks against the Holy One of Israel. Behold, the judgments of the Holy One of Israel shall come upon them. And the day cometh that they shall be smitten and afflicted. Yeah. So we read through all of this a few episodes ago, but I wanted to point out think today that um, the similarities of or tie back into the fact that his dad uh, taught them these these simple few points when he was young and that he has developed his understanding of that as he grew older and now he has a chance to be instead of his dad preaching to him and, and to the people now he it's his turn and he starts out with that same thing I'm here for the welfare of your souls that 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 uh, that 
phrase welfare of your soul is the same thing that Lehi said way way back when I'm I'm telling you these things for the uh to make known to you for the welfare of your souls that is a <laughs> that that's an interesting phrase but he's saying so that you can uh you so that your soul is taken care of your yeah, spirit see. your inner man that you're going to be with with the um the king with the with your creator this is this need this is for your welfare so you can prosper for your safety yeah. for your uh eternal status this is important you could say the welfare for a lot of different things we use mm-hmm. in society today uh you know sometimes kids are removed from their home for their own welfare for their own uh, safety or whatever but when you're talking about the welfare of your soul uh that has eternal uh, weight that we 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 can't really comprehend if we don't purposefully do it exactly you know so i see this progression so we get lehi saying the Holy One of Israel is going to sacrifice himself for sin. And then we get Jacob writing in the fifth chapter, now that he's an adult, um, he said, the Holy One is going to be scourged and crucified. And then he he continues, and then in the sixth chapter, he shares this, and we shared this in the last episode, Second Nephi 6, verse 10, Jacob's words again, it behooveth the great creator that he suffereth himself, to become subject unto man in the flesh and die for all men, that all men might become subject unto him. You know, the great creator's plan was from the beginning that he had to pay the price. And and we should not we should not misunderstand this. They spoke plain. They were not speaking mystery, they were not speaking symbol. They were Lehi's son Nephi then writes finally in his chapters, I've spoken plain that you cannot misunderstand. But then Jacob concludes this. So we, we read from Jacob 5 where he said he's going to manifest himself. They'll, they'll scourge him. And and in chapter 6, the great creator suffereth himself. And in chapter 7, this is more of Jacob. He says, this is Second Nephi chapter 7, verse 5. Wherefore, I say unto you, it must needs be expedient that Christ... For in the last night, the angel spake unto me that this should be his name. Get this. We've got, you know, you talk about not knowing if a dream is spiritual, like you mentioned a little bit ago. What Mm -hmm. happened last night? Here we get a guy standing there saying, I had an angel tell me this last night. It's true, buddy. You know, (laughs) there's, there's, there's no doubt about what he's saying right here. And he says, the angel told me that his name shall be Christ. For in the last night, he said this to me, he should come among the Jews, among they which are the more wicked part of the world, and they will crucify him, for thus it behooveth our God. And and so we get this statement leading up to it in the previous chapters, it behooveth the great creator to suffer himself. It behooveth the great creator to lay down his life. He offers himself a sacrifice for sin. All these things behoove the great creator in, the, in Lehi's messages to his children. And now we get his children finally saying, and it will be Christ. Mm-hmm. You know? And- Again, ties into the last episode of where do you place your thoughts and your heart during the sacrament? You know, it has to be mostly on Christ, that the great creator took on flesh and blood and died for us. The great creator is Christ, yeah, our creator. And yeah. that somehow knowing that uh, then is it needs to move into uh, working on our inner man to be changed and transformed. Um, but also... I think it comes with the revelation 
that well you sent me a you sent me a little clip this week that was um teaching on the plan of salvation that was quite perverted um contrary to what the scriptures say from another um section of restoration where God came in and had this plan. He said, this is what needs to happen, but now I need to find somebody to do it. And Lucifer and Christ were there. And one of them said, I'll go down and do it. And then the other one said, no, send me. And it seems like you, uh, change the meaning of salvation when you look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it is from the beginning. And this is what the book of Mormon teaches with clarity from the foundation of the world. The book of Mormon says, this was the plan from the beginning. There, there wasn't a, there, there wasn't an up and down vote of, you know, hey, you know, who thinks this, who thinks that? No, the only way our sin could be redeemed was because we had committed an infinite sin. It had to be paid by an infinite payment. And there's only one who could do that, the very creator himself. And this is what the Book of Mormon teaches from the beginning. This is why, um, I, and I'm, I don't know that I'm doing it justice here in the podcast, but the fact that you see this transfer of this same understanding to all these men, and it continues to people like King Benjamin, who are hundreds of years later after Nephi and Jacob, teaching the same thing, that this great creator would, would come down uh, and, and teach and, and take on flesh, live in a tabernacle of clay, he says. Um, and, and that the continuity of these ideas comes down in, in their it's never ambiguous. Now, we make it ambiguous because of notions and traditions and things that we've been told or the things we think the scriptures say. <clears throat> but if you if you come back to it, and Mike, I've been thinking about this for a while, it's like, if you're going to draw a line in the sand, I'm going to do it with the Book of Mormon. I'm going to say, this is the this is the boundary. It's like the Book of Mormon is, is clear. It's plain. It tells the story. If you want to hold scripture up to anything and make a decision, come back to what the Book of Mormon says. You know, it's right. it's telling the straight story. Well, the the neat idea I thought about this is is lining up those three or four simple points and then looking at how many different authors and um, and um, prophets ministers com- completely brought out the same message over and over and over again. Yeah. And that message is is so simple. It's the and we talked about it uh before the last uh was the fullness of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's that God himself took on flesh and blood and died to bring us back into his presence and that all mankind will be saved except the sons of perdition. And that hope allows us to uh be transformed inside and and to be able to become like him. The fullness of the gospel, and and all of these guys get right to the point. And the necessary thing, or the interesting thing, is we need more of this uh, laser focus in these last days to just focus on Christ and salvation and atonement for sin, and and allow that to do the work it was meant, and get rid of all the other baggage. Yeah, Amen. You know, one of the messages that Lehi shares, again, in, in a simple phrase, is is about grace. And he says, uh, this is Second Nephi chapter 1, verse 78. He says that, and I'm just starting in the middle, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Again, bringing it back to 
wholly relying on him. The, the sons then take it further. The second book of Nephi, chapter 6, that we've shared from, from several podcasts recently, begins every paragraph, if you will, or, or, or these clusters of verses with Jacob praising God, and he starts out in verse 9, Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and his grace. And then he elaborates on how, hey, if he hadn't sacrificed himself, our flesh would rise no more. And, and he continues to call out, it's God's grace that did this for us. The whole chapter is about that. And then from there, Nephi comes back in later in the end of the, you know, this eighth, beginning of the eighth chapter and onward, you get Nephi talking. And Nephi writes, my soul delighteth in his grace and his justice and power and mercy and his great and eternal plan of deliverance from death. And, and, and they continue, you know, about this. But that, again, started with Lehi that, again, it's, we have to rely wholly on the merits of him who's mighty to save and, and how these people were able to just articulate it so clearly if I have a hope for the church today and where, where we're at and where we're going, I want to um, be a part of, I want to understand, I want to be in the culture of these types of people that focus on the main thing and make the main thing the main thing. Mm-hmm. This is uh, hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to be moved by it. Um, because I've heard every time I hear something simple like this, I have a thousand other things ringing in my ears that I've learned, like, well, you also have to do this and that and this and that. And um, that that becomes ingrained in you, just like Lehi's words to Jacob became ingrained in him and led to what he focused on in his ministry. Many of us in the church have things ingrained in us that were um, focused on when we were young in Sunday school, in baptismal classes, and growing up. Uh, I have the big picture of the church, you know, the the building block of the church that had priesthood offices and yeah. So it makes it sound like it's built gifts and spirits and uh, gifts of the of the spirit. And if some of these priesthood class, you know, priesthood offices are missing, then the church is not present and. Um, all of those things, the fruits of the Spirit, those, that, that's all okay and good. And at certain parts of history, that was what the church looked like. But this looks like the church to me when a man's just sitting there preaching about the atonement of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. And I, when you, when you leave that message and start saying what abouts and what ifs and but what about this, you know, we're missing this and that, um, then you've lost all power to be become the children of God. Yeah, yeah. And this is the culture that will come back into the church, that will be the only focus, um, will not be, ele- nothing else will be elevated above it ever, is when the church uh, gets back and the ministers and those that are um, preaching the gospel are preaching the same message that's contained in King Benjamin and uh, Nephi and Jacob and Lehi and Alma and Amulek and Mosiah and all of these people, the same simple message of the great creator coming down and atoning for our sins and snatching us out 
of our sinful, polluted state. Mm. And it sounds so foreign and Protestant to me. <laughs> well, you know what you just said, Mike? I was just listening and enjoying your words, contemplating that, you know, if if people, I don't know, just a ton of things, what you just said, if, if if people are struggling for a sermon topic, just go back to where it starts with Lehi and see what he talked about in his, in his sons because he talked about the most important things for the welfare of our souls, and, and that's where it originates, these messages. But <clears throat> this idea you bring up, too, of kind of like, you know, someday everyone's going to say this same message and, and, and the hearts of people are going to come together. We haven't, we haven't witnessed that. We, we keep, we being people in kind of the restoration and maybe the more conservative side, keep envisioning this picture that somehow we as the church have sort of been, quote, right, quote, all along or more right than anyone else. And we just need to wait for God to kind of put a few things back in order. And then here we go again, then we're off to the races. And it's like, I, I think we got off long before things in our generation in that <clears throat> this collective loss of the the mercy and the grace of God and our nothingness before him is the central theme of salvation. And when the scriptures talk about the future, they don't just say, oh, God just kind of patches a few little things up here in the administration of the church and we get you know some things squared away that people argued about priesthood authority or this and then the other things. It's not that. It's it's like it's this total transformation of the heart that has to happen that hasn't happened in our church or generation. And and when in third Nephi ten, when after this destruction of the Gentiles is forecast and then described in the end of third Nephi nine, Jesus simply states, And if the Gentiles repent, I will establish my church among them. You know, this is after we've already had a church among mm-hmm. ourselves. And it's, as we, I think we said before, it doesn't say I'll reestablish or I'll re-reorganize or I'll remake a remnant of the remnant of this and that and the other. It's like, no, I'm going to start clean because the real church is when we have these changed hearts. You know, one, one other little thing, at different times in my life, I, I found people or maybe a group of people who were in the church or some facet of the restoration. And then you kind of think, oh, well, maybe this is <clears throat> this is the group or they, they've got it all together. And then you find, yeah, everything's good. But then there's this one kind of weird thing or a few weird things that it's like they hold high above everything else. It's like, I can't remember. There was one place where it was like everything seemed good. But then it was like, you know, you were kind of cast down if you weren't just eating herbs. And, you know, just, you know, it was like everything was about, okay, but your diet has to be this. You know, it's like, well, you know, it's like there was always this little baggage that came along that felt to me like some things seemed right, but then it took your mind off it in some other way that wasn't really the focus. And, and maybe I'm not saying it right, but what you just said, Mike, doesn't it seem amazing to think that there would be a day, there will be a day, there can be a day to come where people finally get it right, you know, and, and there, our worship of God is just genuine and sincere. And then we come together collectively for that. We're not off on little collective restoration tangents of some type or the other, you know. Yeah, when he says, I'll establish my church among them, you see little pictures of that throughout history where the church was established. When when I see when I see that, I don't know what people picture in their mind or what you picture in your mind, Corey, when it says, I will establish my church among them. But to me, if his church is established, then it's a group of people that have a knowledge like young, uh, like young Jacob 
you know, Nephi said, and I, I knew you beheld the glory of, of the Lord at a young age. If his church is established, then it's a group of people that have beheld the glory of their creator and have been changed by it. It's just as simple as that. And everything else can be thrown in. It's probably looked different over time, um, depending on the society and where we're at and how it's structured. But the core of the church is they've beheld the glory of God and they've been changed by that. And they understand that. And that's the, for the welfare of their souls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we, uh, you got anything else before we wrap this one up? Oh, are we out of time already? Gee. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just really, uh, thoroughly enjoying, you know, new things that I think have been in the scripture forever. But, when when our view changes of who Christ is, I think he can he can open up the essence of our word. And I know for me, I feel like some of these things are brand new because maybe I've been taught or or chose to believe certain things that kind of made made me right or, or self you know made made us right in a way. And, and God wants God wants us to be righteous. His His love and His mercy um, to change us. And that's that's I think probably the most powerful message of all this. Um, to to me, I uh, I'm gonna continue to study some of this message of Lehi and Jacob. Maybe we'll have a little bit more to say about that again next time. But um, but I'm just thankful for this word, Mike, that we've been given, and and it's you know become new to me almost every day now. And and I'm I'm thankful that uh, for the people who are listening. You know, if you uh, get any um, you know benefit from all this, it's because our we have a loving Savior, and He is God, and He. He chose from the foundation of the world to do what uh, no one else and nothing else could do for us, and that's to pay a price so that we could be with him again, and there can't be anything better than that. So unique to the religion of Christianity. No other religion comes close to uh, establishing that kind of foundation where the, the main leader or anything of the religion became mortal and died for the creation. And um as I was meditating this week, of course, again on a drive, I was asking myself in my mind, I thought, do I need to have a revelation from God? Should I have a revelation from God? What if my ideas and our ideas and the things we've come to in conclusion about eternity and final judgment and final resting place, what if what if I'm leading people astray? What if uh, there really is going to be some a million star glories and moon glories and sun glory for people to live for all eternity. And what if I'm teaching it wrong? And I thought maybe I should have a, a strong revelation from Christ that this is true. And then, and then the words come into my mind at the same time it's written in the word. And I don't, <laughs> that was profound to me. It's already written in the word. It's written in the word. And I think, that if we are continually engaged in the word, we see the plan for all mankind. And uh, we just have to get our minds and hearts into that word contained in the Book of Mormon to give clarity to everything else. You know, brother, I read this scripture last night, and I'm going to give the RLDS and the LDS version because for anyone listening, I want to make sure you have this. If there's any doubt about salvation, uh, this scripture just resonated on what you said, Mike. It's from the RLDS version, it's Alma 9, 27. If it's LDS, it's going to be Alma chapter 12, verse 15. But it, Alma states this, He is just in all his works, and that he is merciful unto the children of men, 
and that he hath power to save every man that believeth on his name and bringeth forth fruit meet for repentance. That, that phrase, he has power to save every man, you know, what is, what is salvation other than being returned to him? And it's like, this, this is the message of our God to us where it, it can't be wrong other than otherwise he isn't who he says he is. He has the power to save every one of us who will call upon him and do the things that he asks us to do and the repentance, the change of heart. And that's the message of salvation. You know, how, how could he be God? Oh, I have power to save you, but, well, here's the little consolation prize. You go off there and you never get to really participate in eternity because it's just reserved for these few others and there's technicalities you weren't aware of, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the corruption of salvation that's happened not in—I mean, it's happened in other religions, but it's happened within the Restoration. It's, it's people who've added, you know, um, simple little things to, oh, well, you know, and this is why I— I hope I don't offend people because I was I didn't drink coffee much in my life, but now and then I bring it up because coffee's really not on the test. But for some people, that becomes, you know, in the, in the way they've been taught. Oh well, if you want to make it to celestial, you know, you don't have that. And it's like, no, that's really not the point. Some people will say, you know, there was even corruption back in the days of early church history where some people were teaching, and other people don't know how to reconcile it now that polygamy was part of this, you know, and I, I hate to even go there or bring that up in this great conversation we're having. But for some people, because they heard these ideas from men that, oh, well, if you want to make it to salvation, you got to add this and this and this. And no, come right back to this scripture. He is the one who has the power to save you if you believe and if you, you, your heart changes. That's, that's what it comes back to. Yeah, we have an entire book of sermons based on salvation and how it comes and what it is and what we need to know. And, and none of it mentions anything terribly peculiar or in-depth or secretive that we didn't have before. It just brings out this very plain message, like you have to focus on the atonement and the intercessing blood of Jesus Christ. That has been the story of the gospel from the beginning when Adam found that there was a way back after he had fallen out of God's grace, a way back through the shedding of blood and that that would happen in the meridian of time. That's been the story and man has stumbled because of the simpleness of the way for 6,000 years or however old this earth is. It's the age-old story Mm -hmm. and the age-old mission is to focus back on the Christ as we do at sacrament and keep our eyes on him and allow that knowledge to change us. You know, in, in that book you mentioned, obviously it's it's the Bible, but because some have stumbled, it's the Book of Mormon, this collection of writings of people whose words didn't go through multiple translations, who were inspired like the people in Israel, but who said, we're speaking plain, we're speaking plainly, and you can get this. You can, yeah. That, no, that's the book I was referring to. Yeah, the book no, no, I, I get it, I get it. <laughs> I, but that's it. It's like we we have this, and it's like, you know, take it to heart and realize this is this is the message that needs to be preached. Well, I hope uh, I hope people are encouraged every time they listen to us to um, just be excited about opening their the Word of God. I get excited about what the Word of God says when we come together and talk. That's why we come together and talk um, because it is exciting to me and and the only thing that really captures my attention for any given amount of time it's 
it's all there is, this plan, this place that we're headed, eternity. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, um, sometimes we repeat ourselves a little bit, but it's almost like, Corey, when I get to that, uh, I said I feel like I get to the point where my, my only prayer to the Lord is, Lord, help me crave righteousness. Help me crave you. You're all that there is, and may that be the desire in my heart. Uh, sometimes it's hard to preach to people in the church when you've listened to hundreds of sermons together. It's like, what else What else is there to say <laughs> other than these same plain sermons? And so sometimes it's just reminding ourselves over and over until it sinks in. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. it. This is yeah. it. <laughs> well, well, really, and that's in line with this whole idea that, hey, look what Lehi said and and, and we didn't get that deep into it, but look what Jacob also said, and look what Nephi also said. And then you see what <clears throat> King Benjamin says, and, and all these people uh, saying the same thing over and over for generations, right? Because of how great, how important it is to make these things known. For the, the welfare children, of our souls. For the welfare of our souls. That's exactly what the, the message of all these people was over the eternity. So how can we not say it enough? It's just like, who can boast too much in the Lord? Mm -hmm. Who can glory too much in him? Agreed. Well, any final final words, brother? Well, just that, you know, we worship this God who has power to save everyone who calls on his name and believes in him. And he wants us to be home with him. So let's just remember that he is mighty to save as we are all just walking each other home. Be good to one another and be good to yourself. <laughs>